welcome everyone to the Australian Bitcoin podcast. In this episode, you're listening to myself, Justin, and Daniel from Hardblock. Today, we'll be discussing recent global and local Bitcoin news. But before we start, a quick word from our sponsor. The Australian Bitcoin podcast is brought to you by hardblock.com.au. Hardblock is Australia's oldest Bitcoin-only exchange. They have no added fees and are optimized for dollar cost averaging. Sign up to Hardblock today using the discount link in the description below to receive free auto-send batched Bitcoin withdrawals for six months. All right, Daniel, how's it going? Yeah, pretty good. I, I'm enjoying the Bitcoin roller coaster. Indeed, yeah, it's a fire sale at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's right, yeah, fire sale, and um, it's exciting times. It is, yeah. <laughs> See, uh, seeing what, what's going to happen now um, I think the price. I think by embracing DCA, like dollar cost averaging, yeah. some of these times uh, I'm much less emotional now than I would have been in the past. In fact, I'd say I'm just pretty zen now about the price. Um, I'm appreciating getting to buy in a bit more. Whereas if we went back, say, like maybe two years or three years or four years, it's these sort of times I'd be regretting my purchases at higher levels. Yeah. I'll be scrambling to get more money to put in now. Yeah. Um, and I might even be a bit just generally concerned about the you know the price going down, whereas now it's just an opportunity. Um, I know I've been stacking all along, so I've stacked at these levels on the way up and I'll stack at these levels on the way down yeah. no matter where it goes. Yeah, I, I agree. But I just thought maybe we should mention like the actual price for people who, if anybody's listening in the future. So right now, the US dollar price is 20,800. And I believe that was yesterday where it went to around 18,300 or something. That's, that I think it got as low as uh, 17,500 oh, 17, or so. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Not for very long, yeah, but yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's mainly okay. been around that sort of 18. Yeah, year so like the big thing about that is that it went below 19,500, which was the previous cycle high. And obviously, like the rule in Bitcoin previously was that it never goes it there. Never goes below the previous cycle high. So it did briefly go below it this time. But again, it was very briefly. We'll see if it goes. It's above it now. I'm not sure. What do you think is going to happen? Yeah, I think I think it will. Probably not enough for people to stack long term. But maybe if you're online at the time when yeah. it does, you might be able to get a bargain. But otherwise, what we're seeing now might be where the price is like reliably stackable. <laughs> I guess the other thing about that is that all Bitcoin kind of breaks all the models, doesn't it? Even mm. the, the good models where people yeah. say like, oh, if you hold it for four years, you'll only ever be in profit. Yeah, it'll never go below the right. previous cycle high. I mean, the stock to flow model itself was mm. something that people yeah. followed for many, many years. And like now most of those models have been yeah. broken, most of those predictions, which, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where once someone says something with confidence, it makes me think, oh, I don't say that. Yeah, now, yeah. now we have to go <laughs> yeah, the opposite. Right, right, so right, like Michael right, Saylor yeah. had okay. a very recent uh, like interview where he was saying that, you know, anyone who's held Bitcoin for four years, you know, they're in profit. Mm. And it was literally a, th a couple of days after that, that's when we broke the previous cycle yeah. high. And then people started posting saying, well, if you bought four years ago, you're now in like a 3% loss or something along yeah, those yeah. lines. So yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. People like to make predictions and have models, but it seems like as soon as they're spoken into existence, yeah. it's almost a guarantee that they, they have to break at some point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, mind you, like it's what Michael Silas is still mostly true. I mean, you would have had to buy at the very top, which was like for one or two days. That's right. Uh, like four years ago. And then like for a brief moment in time for about a few hours yesterday, you would have, you would been, have been down 3%. Yeah, it's exactly. like, uh, you know, uh, so it's still like mostly true. But yeah, I guess it's like when you you make these kind of rules and you know they can always break. But you know, I still believe in Bitcoin. I think it's gonna come back up. You know, I guess one thing that people are saying it's different this time, which is true, that it's the first time where we in a quantitative tightening situation where the interest rates are rising. Um, That's so right. I don't, I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah, true. You're right. So I guess for anyone who doesn't know what that means exactly is that, yeah, the government's not really printing as much money to prop yeah. up things like property market or the stock market. Um, and in the past, like if you look at the last 10, 15, 20 years, we've had very, very low interest rates near to, yeah. near to negative almost. Uh, whereas now, yeah, there's less money being printed to prop up markets and there's higher interest rates, which means people are going to be probably feeling safer in things like cash or bonds even though bonds haven't performed very well mm. either. There's something down like 40% yeah. over the last year or so. Um, but yeah, I agree. It's, it's a whole new landscape for Bitcoin. We don't get that usual propping up 
that's coming yeah. from the government and other types of markets too. And that general sentiment as well, because when markets, when all markets are flying, I feel like people are a bit more haphazards, probably not the word, but like they're less risk averse. Do you know yeah. what I mean? To put into Bitcoin, whereas now if Bitcoin's not seen as a risk off asset or not seen as a good inflation hedge in the short term, mm. people in the short term might be backing away from it a bit, yeah. uh, which could, of course, impact on the price. I don't think that matters in the long term with Bitcoin. I think the mm. price will be back up and, and orders of magnitude higher than mm. what it has been previously and is now, of course. But yeah, I agree with you. Quantitative tightening is a new circumstance for Bitcoin. So we kind of have to see how it plays out. Yeah, yeah. I think it's to go up because why they are tightening interest rates slightly. I don't believe the government is actually doing anyway enough because the interest rates are still actually far below inflation. True. The government, especially the U.S. government, is still spending money like crazy, and there's no reasonable way mm. they can actually fund that deficit except for money printing, they're not going to get the budget in order. So those kind of fundamentals are there. And it seems like to me, like the increasing the interest rates a little bit, but it seems like it's too little too late. Yeah. That's, that's kind of my reading of it. And I mean, you still have very high inflation. We're also yeah. at an unprecedented time of sovereign debt, of like government debt, yeah. which means the government can say we need to cool down the markets. But at the same time, they're increasing their own interest repayments yeah. with money that they don't really have at a time yeah. where they're going to be decreasing tax revenue because they want to cool down the market. Yeah. So I, I I don't know what their plan is there. Maybe they don't have a plan. I think they'll figure that out in the fullness yeah. of time that money yeah. needs to be printed to just cover the interest yeah. repayments because we have something like over a trillion dollars yeah. of debt now in Australia just in the last two to three years. That's pretty much doubled from where mm. it was previously. So, yeah. I mean, they're holders of, uh, of essentially like mortgages and mm. loans as well. So yeah. Yeah. That, that's very different. We haven't had that previously, I don't yeah. think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And just like uh, one more thing that I have to say about the price is, you know, like I found my experience in Bitcoin has always been that Bitcoin does the opposite of what people expect and what the sentiment is. And so if when everybody thinks it's going to go up and we're sure that's kind of when it goes down and when everybody thinks it's going to go down, it goes up. And I do find that a lot of people that I've been talking to, just casual people, I went on the big Facebook, Crypto Australia Facebook group and just talking to some other kind of people who you know are into Bitcoin or crypto. And the consensus among them is that it's going to, everybody's pretty sure that it's going to go lower. They say like, oh, I think it's still going to drop to around 12,000. Mm. That's what everybody seems to think. So maybe it will. I can't be for sure, but to me, like actually take that as a bullish signal that the consensus among the kind of average lay person is that it's going to go lower. To me, that's kind of signals that it actually might not go lower. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Like it's a bit of a conspiratorial thought yeah. that I've had, but markets are a zero sum yeah, game. Yeah. Big money is generally always making money in the markets in some way. And the way you do that is through maximum pain movement. Yeah. So if everyone thinks it's going one way, you have to push it the other way to liquidate, to make your own money. So I think yeah, if everyone's saying price is going down lower, it would make a whole lot of sense for the price to go sideways then mm. up. But I think that's like why it's always good to DCI because I mean, like right now it could go lower, it might not. Like you never know, like, and if you try to, if you got some money to invest, like you might be waiting or oh, it's going to go lower and it will never go lower and it's going to go higher. So you, you lose out or, you know, you might buy now and then it might in fact go lower. Mm. So that's like when you DCI, you just take away that risk, then you'll be good. And something I like to use is the May index, mm -hmm. the Maya index. Yeah. I'm not sure how to pronounce it exactly. I think it's either Maya or the Maya, Maya index, either one. And um, it's kind of basically the way it works, it's, uh, the 200 day moving average divided by the current price, gotcha. I believe. Yep. And um, if it's uh, like below, uh, f you know, below like a certain level, you, you plot it and below, I can't remember the exact levels, but if it's like low on that index, it's a good time to buy. And if it's high, it's a good time to sell. And uh, it's certainly kind of. Uh, in the buying range right now. So I think you, it was something because you posted that up and it was like, it's been higher something like 98.5% yeah, of the time. Yeah, so yeah, this, yeah, is, yeah. this is like a, you know, almost one yeah, to 2% yeah, yeah, buying yeah, opportunity yeah, in exactly. this grand scheme yeah, of Bitcoin, yeah. which is a, an interesting way to look at it. Yeah, yeah that's right. Gives good yeah. perspective. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, the Maya index has been higher 
than it is currently about 98% of Bitcoin's history. Yeah. So I, yeah. I agree with the sentiment of uh, DCA, do it regularly. You get a good average price. If you do want to, you know, smash by the dip is to do it without leverage. Um, yeah, I think yeah. at the moment we're seeing like a lot of especially institutional mm. investors are finding a bit of trouble with their leverage. Probably don't need to go into like a whole lot of detail about it, yeah. but Celsius being one that probably yeah. most people have heard. Um, BlockFi seems to be kind of like tied up in that, but they seem to be a bit in quotations safer, at least with this current kind of clear out of the yeah. leverage. Um, but there was quite a few other exchanges that um, halted withdrawals, even a couple in Australia. Uh, it sounds like tied into um, places like, yeah, Celsius and BlockFi with their yield. Um, and I guess as the saying goes, if you don't know where the yield come from, comes from, then yeah. it's usually you are the yield. You, it's your money that's paying other investors mm. like a typical Ponzi. So, yeah, I think just be mindful of, of what happens when you over leverage. Uh, we're seeing a bit of that now. I would even say that this is a healthy thing for the market. You know, we don't get to move up reliably or consistently yeah, with a, yeah. a new floor without clearing out um, some over-leveraged um, or exploitable uh, right. players. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and for those who don't know, because I wasn't fully even aware about Celsius, apparently they're a pretty big company. They were, they were valued at something like $3 billion or something. Yeah. There's a few other similar ones, Babu or something, mm. like a Chinese one based. Basically, there were platforms where you could get a loan against your Bitcoin or you could get an interest on your Bitcoin. And obviously, the thing about Bitcoin uh, is that it doesn't actually pay interest like a company. It doesn't generate revenue. So, I mean, the way that you can generate interest is if somebody's speculating with that money in some way. Exactly. And the risk is if those speculations go bad, uh, your, kind of, your kind of money is at risk. So that seems, I don't know all the exact details that's happening with Celsius, but yeah, it was frozen withdrawals and a lot of people, you know, are anxious about whether they'll get the money back. Some people say it's a liquidity issue. Some say that they're insolvent mm. and that they were making like big risks, taking big risks of people's money. I, I don't really know if that's true or not. It's, yeah, it's difficult when it's so opaque, really, isn't yeah, it? Um, yeah. And that should be a cause for concern, or at least to let people know that there is huge counterparty risk of going into yeah. something that provides yield where you're not yeah. really sure where it even yeah, comes from. Yeah. And yeah, because it can be cascading the losses where yeah. if they're, which I understand they are, holding majority Bitcoin yeah. to uh, to back, like collateralize their loans or their, their gambles, essentially, yeah. if they need to then sell that Bitcoin, yeah. because they're such a large player, they're going to push the price down, which yeah. pushes the price down of the rest of their collateral, yeah. which means yeah. they need to sell more. Same thing happened to uh, UST and Luna. Mm -hmm. You know, that was a $60 billion collapse. Yeah. Yeah, good uh, good lesson of not over leveraging yourself, yeah, or, or not investing in places that could be over leveraged as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly, and ho like holding your own keys. Like that's why we say hold your own keys. Definitely, yeah. Um, now, just say uh, also, even when I got into Bitcoin in two thousand, like end of two thousand thirteen, like it was already it was a reputation of services where they promised to pay you interest of Bitcoin. A lot of them turned out to be scams or went bankrupt, and it was already advised against doing that. Already mm -hmm. in 2000, end of 2013, they had a reputation like that. And that was one of the reasons people say, hold your own keys um, and not your keys, not your Bitcoin. Like these places, I don't know about Celsius, what's going to happen there, but they just they have a bad history in Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. when services that promise to pay you interest on your bitcoin you know there's just there's been a lot of bad stories with things like that true i wonder in a couple of years time will this be probably not a moment where everyone learns their lesson because what i know about human nature is that yeah. we're doomed to repeat the same, same lessons over and over again at least most people are i think a few yeah, of us yeah, aren't yeah, yeah. um but i guess like will we look back and will this be like the mount gox of the Bitcoiners that got yeah. in around 2020, 2021, yeah. like yeah. A, one of those big collapse moments yeah. where a lot of people lose their Bitcoin because yeah. they trusted a company. There's been like enough time that's gone between now and Mount Gox to maybe yeah. people to learn that lesson again. But yeah. yeah, I'm curious, like how big will this be? Um, or will they like scrape by the skin of their teeth yeah. and, and somehow survive and continue on? But yeah, we'll wait and see. I'm just looking at like some of the names, like so, like BitConnect. There were some of BitConnect. Yes, was, like, I remember this. Famous one, which is also Plenty like good basically BitConnect, yeah. Yeah, high yield. Uh, that was in 2016, but there were even other ones before that, like before I got in, like 2012. Already, people 
learned that lesson. What, what was the guy's name? Connect wasn't it Carlos Matos or something? I think sure. he became like a, a personal trainer or a fitness instructor or something. Like if you check That's out good. his face, uh, okay. his Twitter now, he's still there spruiking the next thing. Okay, okay. <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, there's a yeah sorted history really isn't there yeah, of yeah, those sort of things yeah. happening. All right, we'll, we'll jump into the news yep. um, because, yeah, the, the rest of the macroeconomic market is, uh, I think, just as bad, if not worse, than Bitcoin. And that would be kind of leading the charge mm. and, and probably causing a lot of this to happen. Mm. So the, the U.S. Uh, annual consumer price index rose to 8.6 in their May uh, month of measuring. And that's a 40-year high. Mm. Uh, things like shelter, food and gas were the biggest contributors. Now, recall last month, inflation was um, the annual inflation, that is. So measured as of April was something like 8.2 or 8.3. And there was some celebration from some U.S. politicians that inflation seemed to be decreasing. Yeah, I mean, inflation was still up quite high, yeah. but saying like, oh, look, it seems to be down a little bit from the previous month. Well, that's been completely undone. And now it's, it's higher than both of those months. My prediction would be that this is probably going to continue on for quite a while. It's not just the money printing, although that's a huge thing, but it's also now the supply chain issues. So I, I expect we can see inflation continuing where it is or even increasing. And I mean, the other thing with inflation with me is that the CPI is the lowest figure you could possibly ever get with inflation. Yeah. yeah so yeah. 8.6 being kind of like <laughs> the, uh, the lower bound yeah, is, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's terrible. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And just kind of related to that, then the other news story we have here is to fight sky high inflation, the Federal Reserve raised interest rates a whopping 0.7% to a new level of 1.5%. Mm. You think about it, it's pretty much doubling the interest rate, yeah, yeah, which yeah. for repayments, that's a significant impact. Yeah. And again, talking about sovereign debt, they have one of the largest government debts of, of yeah. any kind of developed nation. Yeah. I think where like Australia's uh, sovereign debt to GDP is something like 50% at the yeah. moment, yeah. whereas America's is closer to about 100% or 120%. It's quite high, like double what ours is. And ours is bad enough as it is. Yeah. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how far they can push interest rates up to try to curb inflation. Yeah. And a point you just made before, yeah. like 1.5%, no, yeah. it doesn't even touch 8.6% inflation. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's just that's, like, yeah, what, what, yeah. Hell, what are they going to put it up to? They're going to put up right. to 10%? Exactly. And then, uh, yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's like, so, I mean, so if the, inf the CPI is 8.6, which is probably an underestimate, and mm. the interest rates are 1.5, maybe it's a little bit bigger if you go to a bank. But like the real interest rates you're going to get you're losing money still like yeah. if, uh, so people say i've had some people comment oh because you know now it's different uh, because it be like the tightening interest rates but like well i mean the real interest rates are still actually negative in real terms exactly so i think that the prognosis for bitcoin is still good yeah absolutely i, I think at the moment we're just seeing you know tremors through the market because mm. of such a pivot that the federal reserve has done to say yeah. we're going to start trying to call off markets and raise rates mm. it makes sense that people either cash out at that point mm. or they're forced to liquidate but yeah i don't think that can go on for a very long time uh, i feel like this is a, a point that the narrative has to pivot back again yeah. where they say oh look we really tried uh, inflation seems to be here to stay uh, and none of us can pay our debts anymore, so we have to go back to low interest rates. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When when we read these stories, like the thing that comes to mind to me is that famous meme of uh, Ron Paul going, "It's happening! It's happening!" It's happening. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's that's the kind of visualization I get. It's yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's moments like these as well where they have these phrases i say they it's like central planners central bankers politicians etc where they say oh look no one could have seen this coming you know yeah. inflation is much less transitory than what we thought it was going to be and i would say like if you're in the bitcoin space you saw this coming about a decade ago yeah. you know yeah. but yeah it feels like that's it this is this yeah. is all the this is all the predictions now kind of all transpiring at about the same yeah. time in, in the catastrophic ways yeah. that you know we thought were going to happen but here it is yeah yep yep Look, I guess uh, some good news in all of this, um, at least some preliminary good news, is that Cynthia Loomis, who's a U.S. senator, has officially introduced her uh, Bitcoin um, and unfortunately broader crypto bill uh, to the Senate, which looks at recognizing Bitcoin as a commodity and having it enforced, uh, regulated under the CFTC rather than the SEC, the CFTC being responsible for things like commodities. And, and some of what was in the bill were things like tax exemptions 
for low value transactions, which I think the criteria was something like $200 US or low, uh, less would be a, a tax-free transaction. So trying to make Bitcoin uh, more spendable as a currency rather than just a store of value. Uh, and there were clearer rights in that bill for citizens to be able to control the Bitcoin that they own in uh, so-called, in quotations, unhosted wallets, i.e. just your own wallet, basically. So I think that's generally good news overall. My understanding is this is a bipartisan bill too. So it's not just uh, Cynthia Loomis and, and her political party. Um, it's the, the other side of the uh, the divide as in, well. In the United States? In the US, yes, that's is correct. This in like the kind of, is this like a state? No, so this would, so, so this would like be federal, federal law. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Okay. So it's pretty big really? news. Yeah, definitely. But uh, I'm like, um, because it has bipartisan support, I'm, I'm kind of like a bit surprised about that. Well, bipartisan uh, support the... just means people on both sides support. It doesn't mean it has unanimous oh, support like, of all like, the parties. Okay, like, so you might yeah. be talking like, I actually don't know the specific amount, but it's probably something like six people support it oh, okay, out right, of the potential right, right. 300 yeah, yeah, <laughs> that yeah, are going yeah, to yeah. vote on it. But luckily, it's both Democrats and Republicans yeah, okay, that sure, both support sure, it. Sure, so sure. there's enough like... Yeah hopefully of them trying to uh yeah. you know explain it and convince the rest of their party as well yeah okay do you know like what are the chances because i i guess it's probably not going to make it through right i don't think like, this is going to yeah, make it through yeah. no i think realistically speaking yeah. this will be the beginning of the discussion yeah, in a more formalized sure. yeah. way yeah. and look this is not all good because they're trying to classify ethereum as a commodity as well yeah Michael Saylor has been talking about this quite a bit recently, and I've, I've noticed a change in his uh, narrative where he doesn't really call Bitcoin an asset anymore or digital property. He's starting to call it a digital commodity, which is very much in line with this, and it has mm -hmm, a slightly mm -hmm. different definition. I guess where I started that was to say that she's putting Ethereum in with Bitcoin, to say mm -hmm. Ethereum and Bitcoin should be commodities. Everything else should be SEC, securities regulated, but not Bitcoin and Ethereum. However, if you look at Ethereum, there was a pre-mine. There's kind of promises of profit initially. There is controlling parties, which suddenly starts to make it seem more like a security rather than a commodity. Whereas, you know, Bitcoin, for example, you can't really control the issuance. It's set in stone to begin with. There wasn't a pre-mine. There's not a controlling party, mm. uh, which is yeah. quite distinctly different from Ethereum. So, yeah, I, I guess this is good news in net because it's going to start the conversation more formally and you know anything that's in the news about bitcoin seems to be relatively good news because it sort of spells adoption to a lot of other people that might yeah. not be involved but the fact there's things like ethereum in there as well makes me think yeah what's what's the motive behind this bill and is including ethereum then kind of like tar bitcoin with the same brush yeah but i mean like i think that's kind of fair enough in some ways like is it for the government to pick like it's not, I don't feel it's like for the government to pick winners and losers or like make kind of decisions. Like ideally the market would decide and people would decide. I mean, for me, it's like I kind of care about Bitcoin and what reliable, my position is I care about Bitcoin and what reliable as Ethereum doesn't really bother me. If they want to label Ethereum as a commodity, label it as a commodity. If they want to label something, Ethereum something else, they can label something else. It's kind of like, almost like none of my position is like it's none of my business i don't really care yeah no look that, that is a good point that's probably like the best overall position to take i guess the thing is people were thinking ah oh, cynthia loomis she understands bitcoin she gets it she's like a hardcore bitcoiner yeah. and then for a hardcore bitcoiner to be like i think ethereum is pretty similar to bitcoin both of them should have the same sort of laws makes me yeah. think i think maybe people have underestimated overestimated uh, her understanding of the whole space or you know is that a negotiation tactic where you go yeah. to say, here are these two, you know, cryptocurrencies mm. we think should be regulated quite differently from the rest of them. And then through the debate, it's like, oh, okay, you know, we'll sacrifice Ethereum. Ethereum can be a security and we'll just keep Bitcoin being the uh, the commodity. Like knowing what I know about negotiations, that's usually what you take. You know, you kind of ask for more than what you expect to be given. Yeah. And then you, you have to lose one of your cryptocurrencies that you're proposing. And, oh, that's very sad. But at least now everyone agrees Bitcoin's the thing. But you, you are right. I think the uh, the overall is that it actually doesn't matter too much <laughs> which one they call, yeah. what, what label they give it. Just interesting news, nonetheless, yeah. that this is progressing in a formal manner. Whereas go back a couple of years and the idea that there would be like a, a mm. Bitcoin or even crypto bill being yeah. discussed uh, would be, yeah, it would seem like right. ridiculous news. Right. So Alex Gladstein, Chief Strategy Officer of the Human Rights Foundation and human rights advocates from 20 countries across the globe have sent a letter to U.S. Congress to detail the positive humanitarian impacts of Bitcoin. Yeah, so this was including people like Yonmi Park, who's uh, who's spoken at a couple of, well, at least the last Bitcoin conference, um, as well as on like Lex Friedman's podcast and Joe Rogan and um, 
Jordan Peterson and a few others. So she escaped North Korea to China and then to America, um, as well as a, quite a lot of other human rights activists as well. And so they've written a letter, yeah, more or less trying to explain all those positive humanitarian impacts, because at the same time as say like that Cynthia Loomis bill, um, there's plenty of talk in uh, US politics about how, you know, maybe Bitcoin proof of work isn't the right thing mm -hmm. or maybe unhosted wallets are bad, maybe Bitcoin's fine, but it should only ever be held on exchanges or in places like Celsius or BlockFi, which obviously with what's going on now sounds like a, a ridiculous thing. So yeah, I, I appreciate the kind of work that Alex Gladstein does. He kind of keeps pushing this to say like, we're a bit blinded by, um, I guess, financial privilege in a lot of developing countries. Whereas when you look at um, like African nations, um, places that are under like incredible amounts of uh, inflation, like Venezuela or Turkey and so forth, there is a huge positive impact to having something like Bitcoin either as an asset or even just a payment rail. So yeah, it's good to see that okay. they're uh, becoming a bit more politically involved where the debate is happening at the moment in the US. So are they, Alex Gladstone, is he prominent in Bitcoin? Yes, for, yes, for absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, if the probably two of my favorite Bitcoin Miami, um, both 2022 and 2021, uh, uh, appearances or episodes or whatever you call them um, was with him um, okay. talking about uh, yeah humanitarian impacts and he's given a couple of examples of saying like uh, in Cuba the US government wants to promote and encourage entrepreneurs in Cuba because entrepreneurs yeah. in Cuba are generally capitalist which is what they want to sort of spread over there but then Alex Gladstein has mentioned that you cannot actually send a transaction from any US bank to Cuba because it's just too much trouble for the banks to have to deal with so they've just decided yeah. to shut it down whereas he will be then on stage sending money via Bitcoin via like strike app or something like that you know lightning network to an entrepreneur in cuba um so he's sort of demonstrating to people uh, quite regularly the kind of positive impacts it can have yeah right right and does he have any position on like um, bitcoin in the united states and like regulations and stuff like that not does so much i mean he because uh, given that he's a part of the human rights foundation they deal with more like political activists political dissidents um and, and i guess just general human rights for for all citizens so his thesis is more or less that you know people having freedom and financial freedom and getting away from fiat currency which leads to things like overconsumption, uh, infinite wars um kind of time theft that's actually beneficial okay. for all nations um, however, it's probably most needed at the moment in less developed countries um, that have even more authoritarian leaders, um, even more time theft, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. But generally speaking, he, he believes that same thing throughout different countries, not yeah. just um, yeah. developing ones. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, it's pretty needed in de de developed countries also with the money printing and, and such also. So I think people in developed countries definitely also need it. Um, Okay, yeah, I, I just wanted to know, like, I haven't heard much about him. I'll try and listen to some stuff. Just wanted to more know a little bit more because uh, some people say that some of these organizations are like Human Rights Foundation. I believe they're actually funded by the U.S. government. So I want, or I basically received funding. Uh, so I just want, like, what the actual position is on Bitcoin within united US. states it's good to talk about cuba but it's like also like okay so what's yeah. oh absolutely yeah. no no i'm because i'm focusing on that because that's what the, yeah, the news yeah, headline yeah, was yeah, but yeah, no yeah. if you listen to alex gladstein okay, he's very yeah. much like bitcoin is the standard bitcoin okay, is a store okay, of value sure, and sure. a digital currency sure, everyone okay. should have yeah, it yeah, and all governments yeah. are authoritarian yeah, yeah, uh, america's might not be the worst of them but they yeah. are just as authoritarian <laughs> as, as many others yeah, yeah, so yeah no he's very much like bitcoin for everyone basically. okay sure sure um, sure I mean, the way okay. he describes his job is that he spends hours each day getting political activists in all countries yeah. to use Bitcoin. So to yeah. use things like Sparrow Wallet or Samurai Wallet to understand yeah. coin joining and mixing yeah. to kind of improve their privacy. Yeah. So yeah, he's um, yeah, he's, he's a hardcore Bitcoiner for sure. Okay, yeah. sure. Okay. I guess somewhat related to this is that, so in China, there's been some transpiring news of a... Uh, I guess you could call it a bank run to some degree. Um, so there's a bank in China with multiple branches uh, in sort of central China that has stopped depositors taking out their funds. And this has been going on for at least a couple of weeks. Um, that's been sort of you know, proliferated into news. But the most recent um, plot twist, I guess, is that a group of people, um, I'm talking like thousands of people, had intended to go on protest mm -hmm. that they can't get their deposits mm -hmm. out. And their COVID health apps 
which will either be green if they're considered to be you know safe and had a recent test that was negative um, or red if they're considered to be unsafe uh, like they haven't had a recent test or they've had a recent test and it's been positive for COVID. So as people were arriving to this part of the country to mm. protest, mm. they were, all of their health apps turned mm. red mm. and they were met on the plane by uh, authorities that sort of took them and interviewed them, um, basically said that it, it looks like you've either been overseas, which means we need to kind of put you into a lockdown or it looks like you've yeah. tested positive, um, even though people had evidence that they hadn't tested positive. And what this meant was that none of them got to go to the area that they were going to protest at because if your health app is red, um, I would imagine this would be most of China, but especially this area, you can't get on public transport, you can't get on private transport, you can't go to restaurants mm. or cafes, so you can't go to supermarkets. So people were literally locked down more or less to the airport. Okay, well, yeah. The, the kind of weird thing is that, I don't know, it's not that weird, I guess, when you think about motives, but... Uh, the official response has been that this all seems to be some bit of a technical kerfuffle. Um, they're not intending to stop protesters protesting. Um, however, given that no one can fix the technical kerfuffle mm. and it seems to be related to the geolocation, what they're suggesting is that everyone whose apps have turned red, they just go back to their home. Yeah. If they go back to their home, yeah. their app will be green and they can yeah. use transport again and supermarkets and cafes, etc. But of course, if you can't withdraw your money from the bank and you want to go to a protest, being told just go home because we can't fix this technical issue mm -hmm. is uh yeah that's not great as as a response yeah right so i've what i'm going to do in the show notes for this is i'll include one uh kind of western covering of this story which i think it was uh of uh, routers or routers or i don't know how it's pronounced but yeah. the, the russian media outlet uh, but i'll also include Route, routers routers yeah is that it or yeah. routers or yeah i don't think that's russian that's like uh, i think it's us based routers. is it us based i thought there was some conspiracy about how they're like russian funded because they normally have these sort of like base takes anyway regardless of uh, where they're uh, actually uh, from okay <laughs> yeah. are you con maybe you're confusing rt, RT? RT yeah. and routers it's quite possible that right. I am. Well, either way, so a US-based yeah, yeah. um, ha has come out with this, um, but mainstream. However, I'll include actually a, um, a Chinese one as well, which you will need to either have someone who's Chinese speaking to translate it for you um, or go through Google Translate and kind of read it in very broken English. But the Chinese version of it mm. is actually, sounds far worse. Um, okay. And look, given this is a Bitcoin podcast, I'm not going to go yeah. too much into uh, to why it's far worse, but it sounds very, very draconian. This is okay. kind of all the in quotations, conspiracy theories about what will yeah. happen with COVID check-in apps yeah. seems to be <laughs> seems to be a perfect example of all yeah. of those things happening. Yeah. So, yeah, interesting things going on there, transpiring. Yeah. And I guess the way we link this back to Bitcoin is that this is trusting a third party yeah. with your money and yeah. trusting an even larger third party like the government yeah. to to back you up if you can't yeah. get your money back from the bank. And, and yeah. you know, neither of those things are happening. So being able to be self-sovereign uh, makes a whole lot of sense in these very kind of strange times that we're in. Mm. I agree. Um, so shall I move on to the oh. next? Yeah, okay. So the next item we have here is Bank of Canada has reported that the number of Canadians holding Bitcoin has doubled from 2020 to 2021. Yeah, pretty big news. That's the, uh, the central bank in Canada as well. So I imagine their stats would probably be pretty close to accurate. It's not just like a small private bank or something like that. Mm. The numbers were oh, something like 6% to 11% or 5% to 12% mm. or something mm. along those yeah. lines. So it's doubled. We're not talking like huge numbers, but yeah. I don't know. You go back a couple of years and if someone said, you know, 12% of Canadians are going to be holding Bitcoin, mm -hmm. you would think, ah, oh, yeah, that seems like a huge amount, whereas now we're there. Um, yeah. And if not, this number doubled again from 2021 to 2022, which I would almost expect that it would because Canada's had some really great advertisements for Bitcoin um, during things like the mm. you know, trucker convoy yeah. protest yeah. and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, if this was doubled again next year or even maybe 50% higher, uh, that wouldn't surprise me whatsoever, which is pretty cool. Yeah, and I suppose a lot of them would just be shitcoiners shit uh, who hold a bag basket of different cryptocurrencies and among that the whole bitcoin that so, is true yeah but but the news was specifically that the bitcoin the holders bitcoin, has doubled yeah, yeah. yeah so you're right yeah, probably yeah. cryptocurrency yeah. has maybe yeah. more than doubled or something and they might hold some other stuff too well, that's actually good because like i mean most bitcoin is the first first step is to become a shitcoiner and then you become a bitcoiner yeah so, definitely. um like yeah the, even if a shitcoin is now in the future a lot of them will become will you know there's a time as you learn more you realize takes time to realize 
but shitcoins are shitcoins. Yes, exactly. And, and <laughs> Leverage is bad. Yeah, so eventually, like, um, they'll learn, a lot of them probably are learning it hard right now when their shitcoins are losing 90% of their value and such and things like that. But they'll learn over time that um, Bitcoin is the actual decentralized currency. Absolutely, yeah. And that's good news to see it increasing. And especially in a place that... Um, I mean, you would call them very much a developed country, but it seems some of the stuff that goes on over there is quite draconian as yeah. well. So probably a place that needs it. So moving to a very different part of the world, um, Gazprom, which is the third largest oil producer in Russia, is partnering with BitRiver, which is a Bitcoin mining company, which is based in Russia. Uh, but my understanding is legally they're based out of Switzerland. Okay. Um, oh, yes, that's right, Switzerland. Um, but either way, these two companies are now partnering up to mine Bitcoin with Gazprom's excess oil resources, which okay. is, uh, yeah, very interesting news. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, it's interesting. Some of the stuff with Russia, it's sometimes, I guess, maybe a bit like China. It's not very transparent because one day you hear that it's banned or it's not allowed and then that it's promoted and, mm. like, one person says it's we like it and it's good, the other person says we don't like it and not quite sure what's actually happening. That's right. Well, my understanding is this... This doesn't seem like speculation. This is both Gazprom yeah. and, and uh, BitRiver confirming it. And they've seemed to be transitioning, at least, to be more positive. Like yeah. There's more and yeah. more reports yeah. from yeah. finance ministry and the central bank saying Bitcoin's being considered for this or for that. Yeah. Yeah. My understanding is they're quite strict on the domestic. So the, the most recent report that's sort of separate to this is saying uh, domestic transactions, Bitcoin is banned for that. Yeah. Um, but international transactions to government or to large institutions, Bitcoin could be allowed for that. So it's all, it's very, um, yeah, it's very yeah, mixed. Yeah, that's what I heard also. But then wouldn't, because if it's partnering, uh, it's going to use excess oil for Bitcoin mining. So I would presume that, that excess oil is internally to Russia. Mm -hmm. So you, does that, would that be allowed? Because, yeah, like that would be internally. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, My understanding is Gazprom is state-owned. I don't know if it's yeah, majority state-owned, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. but that would mean that this is probably yeah, the exemption to the rule because it relates okay. to the state. Sure. And, and I guess if they're saying BitRiver is a Swiss company, then that's now an international. Yeah. That makes sense? Like you're using yeah. Russian oil to then mine Bitcoin maybe somewhere else. But I mean, like, okay, you, I would have, okay, maybe. I would have thought they'd probably use it, like, locally. It'd be, like, if you're transporting the oil and then... Yeah, that could, quite possibly it. could okay. be it as maybe. well. Okay. E either way, I uh, yeah. I think the, the laws about, you know, maybe they're trying to lock it down domestically and open it up internationally. There's going to be plenty of exemptions yeah. for big institutions and, yeah. and states. And either way, this one seems to be going ahead, regardless of what's happening okay. with the yeah. rest of... Uh, of, of financial transactions. It also depends how it's defined yeah. as well, because uh, mining Bitcoin could be seen as quite different to buying Bitcoin and then sending Bitcoin to someone. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Like, you know, fundamentally on the actual blockchain, it's really not that different. Um, but I guess for an authority to say, well, we don't want you to convert your rubles into Bitcoin, but we're fine if you convert your oil into Bitcoin yeah. because we get a tax on that or something. Yeah, right. I will, yeah, I guess that's what I'm saying. It's kind of not exactly clear what's allowed and what's not allowed in Russia. It's no, that's right. Like, uh, for transactions, apparently we don't want it intended for transaction. These these transactions, I don't know. Anyway, we'll see. Indeed, I think it's good to know that this is not the only place to do it, though. So yeah. Exxon Mobil, which is the largest U.S. oil producer, um, has piloted Bitcoin yeah. mining as well, yeah. uh, looking at reducing its excess gas. Yeah. Um, so any kind of gas that would yeah. otherwise be flared. Yeah. Uh, and similar, so a U.S. Bitcoin mining firm, Crusoe uh, Energy, um, has announced plans to move their generators to places like Amman in the Middle East. To do the same thing, mm -hmm. captured flared gas mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like Gazprom and BitRiver are sort of the, the third okay. big institutions yeah. off the rank to start doing this in a different part of the world. Okay, cool. Nice. Um, the next item we have here is Majid Al Futain Group, which is a retail giant, will soon accept Bitcoin payments in 29 of their shopping malls and 13 hotels in Dubai. Yeah, pretty interesting. They have, uh, they have quite a lot of other types of uh, industries as well, or uh, what am I thinking here, like retail outlets, like supermarkets and cinemas, or something like other 400 supermarkets and 600 cinemas. So, so it's pretty cool. So if I go on a holiday to Dubai, which I have no plans of doing, <laughs> Likewise. I can pay with Bitcoin. So that's pretty cool. I'll keep that in mind. Yeah. And it, it's interesting to see like one of the meta news about these types of news stories is that 
a lot of these groups I'd never even heard of before. It's not yeah. like they were prominent mm. in the Bitcoin, you know, mm. ecosystem or culture, and then mm. they've announced something. It's just a lot of these groups are coming out of nowhere and saying, all right, we're going to implement Bitcoin in some of our stores or all of our yeah. stores or something like that. And obviously, a lot of them are doing it as a pilot test, yeah. um, similar to Bitcoin, uh, sorry, Bitcoin miners and, and energy producers kind of partnering up. A lot of it's happening from companies that I either wouldn't have expected or I've never heard of before. So it's just, yeah, nice to see that kind of popping up all over the place, really. Yep. Yep. Other institutional news, but back in uh, the US, is that Octagon Networks, which is a cybersecurity firm, has decided to convert its entire balance sheet to Bitcoin, um, saying that they were inspired by the Michael Saylor micro strategy strategy to do so. Mm -hmm. What they're also planning to do in the next couple of years is to offer a 50% discount to anyone yeah. who pays with Bitcoin as yeah. well, just so they can accrue more. Yeah. So, very interesting. To be honest, I'm not sure how big of a company this is, mm. uh, but at the same time, good news to see other institutions looking at adopting yeah. both a Bitcoin yeah. balance sheet and a Bitcoin standard, really. Yeah. And locally in Australia, so the Reserve Bank of Australia has raised interest rates for the second month in a row, increasing by 50 basis points to 0.85%. Yeah, and I guess that is same as in america trying to curb the inflation that we have which here at the moment it's 5.1 percent on the last because we release the numbers quarterly rather than every month so 5.1 percent mm. interestingly the predicted amount of inflation or, or level of inflation at least for cpi um for the next uh, quarterly report is meant to be about 6.7 percent okay, yeah. which is you know it's starting to get up there for australia yeah, yeah. open eight so I didn't even realize that we were so low right now with like, so it's only still 0.85% yes. interest rate, but still pretty low. That's right. Yeah. But it's the their second in a row that they've yeah. done. They're yeah. expecting to increase again next month. And yeah. that's uh, like a stark contrast mm. to what they said a couple of years ago, where they said yeah. we're going to be doing quantitative, quantitative easing, uh, easing, sorry. And yeah. uh, we're not going to raise interest rates until at mm -hmm. least 2023 or 2024. Yeah. It's like, well, now yeah. we've had two recently uh, and maybe more to come. Mm. Moving into some technical news. So the uh, the Lightning Network Summit, um, the 2022 one, was held in Oakland, California just recently to discuss a number of matters related to the current state and evolution of the Lightning Network protocols, uh, including things like uh, improvements to scaling, privacy, and usability. We had a podcast just recently with Rusty Russell, who's a Lightning Network developer yeah. based here in Adelaide. He works for Blockstream uh, and on Core Lightning specifically. So that podcast, he talked quite a bit about some of the things that were agreed upon at the meeting, um, the network summit, that is. So I guess for uh, more detail, probably mm. good to check that podcast. Um, but otherwise, I figured I'd just throw it in here as yep. a way to yep. uh, to see that, yeah, scaling, privacy, and general usability are kind of the focuses for Lightning going forward, at least for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I found that discussion with Rusty pretty informative. So I would recommend that also. Um, so another piece of news, a hacker claims to have extracted via an exploit 137 gigabytes of Telegram group chats and messages, including incriminating messages from prominent crypto influencers involved in pump and dump schemes, planned drug pools, etc. Yeah, so this is, uh, who knows how true it is. Uh, we're coming up to the, the date, I think it was basically end of June, where he said he's going to start releasing things and he'll be releasing it you know, every couple of weeks yeah. thereafter. But his claim, or he or she, whatever, is that these are some very, very prominent people in, okay. uh, in the Bitcoin and crypto kind of influencer oh, wow. uh, ecosystem. Okay. And, and it's, it's what he's claiming is that it's quite incriminating. It's quite clear that they have knowingly gotten into pump and dump schemes no. and they were planning okay. to sell their bags and others and saying, like, this isn't just a few people. This is, you know, people that you would never expect to be, be the case. Yeah. Now, interestingly, so that account was banned off of Twitter where the original mm -hmm. post was made. What I've linked to is a, uh, it's like a summary of the Twitter, not a summary, sorry, like a reflection of the Twitter post. It's like the Twitter post basically on a separate page. So you can still read the whole thing. Um, but Telegram came out sometime after that yeah. to say they don't believe there's any such exploit. So they think the whole thing's yeah. basically just okay. a, yeah, a bullshit. So okay. we'll see. We'll see what yeah. happens. Um, yeah. We're coming up to the, the first date where he was going to release some information. So... Yeah, it'd be interesting to see. It, look, even if it's not true what he's saying, I would say, generally speaking, what he's saying is probably true, if that makes sense. As in, I, I do think crypto influencers are often involved yeah. in planned rug pulls and pump and dumps and everything else. Whether he has evidence of that, 
and how widespread it is, I don't know, but I'd say it's it's probably not an outlandish claim for him to make that that's going on. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, it'd be interesting to keep tabs on that and see if anything comes from it. Mm. But uh, there was in Australia, I, I believe maybe around a year ago or something, uh, there were some messages and chats revealed where some kind of the local Australian people were discussing about like releasing a pump and dump and they were discussing who's in it with a chat released. I remember there was Sam Lee on was one of the people on it mm. and I think there was a few people from Blockchain Australia which wasn't a good look for them. Is Sam Lee who was involved with like Ozcoin or something along those lines I'm or the sure Oz ATMs or something like I'm that? I'm not sure. Mm. Sam Lee was involved. He line uh, he he ran the he ran the blockchain center in Melbourne, mm. um, whatever I think it was called the blockchain center, which was kind of like a co-working type space. And he ran I think it was called ICX, which was an exchange by start of Melbourne, and he done some mining. The exchange basically went uh, bankrupt like one or two years ago. Mm. So and I think he actually he, he he was based in Australia, but he I believe he ran away from Australia. I, I don't think he. Was, <laughs> it sounds like that was his option. Yeah. But uh, like he he was involved in blockchain Australia the, the body and um, yeah and like he he was one of the people. There were a few other people hmm. on that. I'm not sure. Do you know about those messages? Or what I'm referring to? Ah, uh, look, probably very vaguely. It I was, might be mixing him up yeah. with someone else as well. That I'm thinking yeah. when I first got into Bitcoin, I guess I was into crypto when I first got into it. I think it was Sam Lee who was involved in one of the forums, and they were trying <laughs> to start some Bitcoin ATM type product, um, which also had a shitcoin attached to it, which was going to be a state like yeah, an yeah. algorithmic stable coin. Okay, yeah. And then that all pretty much imploded. <clears throat> and I think they were being investigated. And yeah, so look, it, it doesn't surprise me, okay, but I, I can't remember yeah. specifically because yeah. it seems like okay, there's yeah. too much of that that happens yeah, over yeah. time. I will, yeah. again, sort of see how that one plays out. But um, yeah, if, yeah, if there's any updates on it, I'll, um, I'll post it up. Yeah. So Jack Dorsey's uh, block, which used to be Square, um, has released some further detail about TBD um, or TBDEX, it's sometimes being called, which is a Bitcoin-based decentralized exchange. Mm -hmm. So he did it in a very meme-worthy fashion where he called it Web5. Mm -hmm. And people are like, what happened to Web4? It's like yeah. the exact same thing that happened to Web3. It's just been superseded. <laughs> so it was a, a cool way for him to kind of meme it into existence. Um, but I mean, this is a new... Yeah. Totally new news about TB Dex. Yeah. It, that's been uh, in the kind of making for quite a while. But it sounds sounds very cool. It sounds like it's not just about buying and selling Bitcoin. It's about being able to buy and sell things for Bitcoin, whether okay. it's houses or clothing or um, yeah, stable coins. The idea being that this is a truly decentralized exchange. They'll use things like decentralized identification. And really, the identification requirement will be based on the other party in the trade. So if you're, you know, trading with an institution, they might want to do full KYC. If you're trading with a, another peer uh, on a similar level to you, that's not an institution, then they might not care about that yeah. whatsoever. This is a global thing, not just in America. So either way, kind of cool to see this yeah. coming to fruition and that them, they're staying true with the idea as well. Because a concern that I had was when they first announced this, which is probably about a year or so ago, that it would it would gradually pivot as time went on, where yeah. it goes from being a decentralized exchange to, oh, look, it's centralized to start with. We want to decentralize it later, yeah. or it's a yeah. decentralized exchange with full KYC, yeah. which makes you think, well, it's not really that decentralized yeah. after all. But it seems that they're staying true to it, and they've found some way in terms of regulation to, to keep making it happen. So pretty cool to see how that shapes up. Yeah. Um, so the next item we have is Seth for privacy releases a technical summary of privacy-related improvements that have been proposed or adopted on Bitcoin or the Lightning Network. Yeah, this is a pretty cool summary, uh, just a paragraph for each with a bit of pros and cons of what has been proposed in the past that has maybe been uh, declined and what has been proposed and implemented. So different types of uh, mixing or coin join type methodologies, different types of say, you know, announcing public or private channels on something like the Lightning Network, um, or how do you prepare invoices on the Lightning Network to be more privacy preserving. So if anyone's interested to know a bit more about Bitcoin privacy, but isn't sure where to start, and you don't just want to know specifically about, say, coin joining, which there's probably better guides to get into that, this is just a nice sort of one-stop shop to say, like, all right, what is privacy in Bitcoin and Lightning? You know, what's been thought about mm. and what's being implemented yep. and what's being rejected, basically. Yep. So. Yeah. 
cool guide. That's not actually a brand new guide. He released that on his own uh, page quite a while ago, but Bitcoin Magazine has kind of repurposed it and put it out. Um, Seth for Privacy is quite big in the uh, the Monero uh, ecosystem, but he definitely dabbles with Bitcoin um, yep. mixing and, and trying to kind of yep. get his head around Lightning Network as well, which is why this has been released again. Yep. So in a, a similar kind of vein in regards to Bitcoin privacy, so OXT Research has uh, updated their chain analytics visualizer. So if you're interested in Bitcoin privacy at all, you probably should at least look at that uh, tool because it's very useful to do chain analysis on your own transactions, but also to understand a bit more about chain analysis heuristics, which is mm. like the decision making process that chain analysis firms use to determine whether, uh, say, something on chain is linked to something else on chain, mm. like a past transaction or whatever it might be. Mm. And so the updates they've made to this is to uh, make wallet fingerprinting a bit clearer. So like what kind of transaction type you're using? Yep. Um, does the change output seem to change positions or does it always mm. stay the same? There's various other things that they look at basically, but trying to make the process of chain analysis a bit more automated and to give you more information at a glance rather than having to click through. So really cool tool if you haven't ever seen it before. The website is oxt.me, although it'll be linked in the show notes anyway. So check it out if you haven't seen it already because uh, now it's improved. Okay, cool. So the Bitcoin hash rate has reached a new all-time high of around 241 exa hashes per second according to Brian's Mining Insights. I think it's just nice to see this where uh, now is not really a great time for institutional miners. I would yeah. say anyone who's mining um, at home who doesn't need to sell their Bitcoin to cover costs, this is a very good time to be mining still. But for institutions that, uh, yeah, were originally stockpiling Bitcoin, a lot of them are selling their Bitcoin now. A lot of them that have gone public, if you look at their stock prices, they seem to be capitulating with the rest of stock prices as well. Mm. So. If you pay attention to those things, it looks like institutional mining is really, really bad at the moment. Yep. But at the same time, when you reach new all-time highs for the Bitcoin mining hash rate, there's obviously still enough players that are interested yep. and that are able to kind of make ends meet um, yep. to keep pushing that higher. Yep. It's all-time high for Bitcoin security, basically, that means. Yep. So another all-time high that seems uh, worthy of celebration is the Lightning Network capacity has reached 4,000 Bitcoin which is, well, it was around 120 million at the time that I put that together, but now that might be closer to like $100 million mm -hmm. worth or something mm -hmm. like that. So that's been on a steady uptrend just in the last couple of years, but yeah. especially the last few months. So I would imagine later this year, we'll be saying 4,500 or 5,000 mm -hmm. or something along those lines from your all-time high. Yep. No worries. Well, that's all the news that we had for today. If you've enjoyed it, please share it around. Um, subscribe if you haven't. And also reviews definitely help out the podcast as well. So if you've enjoyed the content uh, and you use a podcasting app that allows you to leave a review, we'd be much appreciated if you uh, if you dropped it in there and, and even let us know that you've done so. Otherwise, thanks, Daniel. Yep. Thanks, thanks, everyone, for listening. Justin. And until next time.